everybody. Welcome to today's episode of the Dharma Toolkit Daily with me, Chandra Dasa. We're at the start of a new week of podcasts, an eclectic mix of subjects this week, taking in all sorts of things. I was going to say an eclectic group of guests, but actually better to think of them as a set of lovely shining jewels. At least that's what they look like on my Zoom screen in gallery mode, which is one of the nicest things about the current time is you just get these lovely tableau of people, your friends basically glowing at you in glorious technicolor out of your screen. It's really lovely. It's like a little practice in itself, just looking, keeping my eyes on them, ways of seeing people that are new and different. We hope you're all doing very well wherever you are. We hope you're safe, your loved ones are safe, and that you're staying in touch with what's important at quite a stressful, challenging time that stretches to the horizon, at least at the moment, for most of us. For some people, it's been a month or even more in this kind of state, and we're all figuring it out together in a certain way, live, usually live on the internet, which is, of course, the subject of today's episode. Just how is all that going? How are we managing? Are we managing? to stay in touch with our practice online? What new ways are we finding to shift our consciousness into this mode of relating to practice and community? And I've got three lovely guests who I'll introduce you to now. First of all, appearing for the second time, undefeated champion of the world from Manchester Buddhist Centre in England via Mexico City, my friend Sangadara. Hello, Chandra Hello, everyone. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing very well, actually, if I dare to say. I'm kind of enjoying and really appreciating this this opportunity, actually. Not just the podcast, the lockdown and, yeah, practice at home. Great. And we'll swing down to West London, two more dear friends, Yashabodi and Kamala Sheila, who are, I was going to say, they're just old friends of online activities generally, old supporters of Dharma Tracker's work, Free Buddhist Audio, the Buddhist Centre Online. They've both made tremendous contributions in all sorts of ways over the years to our community. And I'm very grateful for their support and friendship in this kind of endeavour, uh, particularly because they jumped in at the last minute to help out today, which is always something that warms the cockles of my little heart. So how are you doing, Kamala Sheila? Nice to have you for the first time on the podcast. Hello, Chandra Dasa. Oh, I'm pretty good, really. It is very strange, this situation, being completely locked down. How many weeks is it? Three weeks, at least. Four weeks we've been doing it. And just knowing how much is going on outside, that is horrendous, which is really terrible. And uh, there's nothing we can do about it. There's no way we can contribute except try to understand and try and empathise in some way. Still, having said that, it's also a little bit like being on retreat. So I'm enjoying that aspect of it very much. Well, we'll talk in a wee minute about being on retreat, since that's going to be a bit of a theme. Yashabodi, how are you doing today? Yes, I'm Yes, I'm doing well. I think one of the benefits of being in a situation like this is that I can have a very regular schedule. So that really benefits me. I think my mind, my body loves that kind of regularity. And it's, you know, just staying sound, staying healthy, working on your yeah, physical and mental health, incredibly important. And then also just having this window on the world the sirens that you regularly hear, but also this, this incredible opportunity to reach out and connect to other people via platforms like we're using today. Yeah. And how are you, Chandradas? I was wondering how you are. That's nice of you to ask. I'm all right today. It's a very super windy day here. In fact, people listening might hear some wind on the mic because there's a real storm outside. It's rain spattered windows and I'm lucky enough to live near some water so I can see it kind of all boiling away outside. I'm quite tired. I've been working a lot recently, as you probably know, for the last month or so, stuff around the Dharma toolkits. 
And to be honest, I've been saying to people, it's felt a lot like being on retreat, just a single point of focus. You know what you're doing when you get up in the morning. In a way, also quite routine-based. You have to be quite consistent and disciplined. So I've been enjoying that aspect of it, just a sort of single-pointed purpose, sense of purpose, and really enjoying all the connections with people that go on. Yeah, so I'm doing quite well. I'm pretty tired. I'm sort of aware of an interest in myself in when I hit my own limitations, which hasn't happened yet. <laughs> but perhaps it'll happen live on air one day. I suppose speaking of being on retreat, Kamal Sheila, I'm aware that you are actually sort of interrupting a retreat, although a different kind of retreat at home. You're in the middle of an online retreat for some members of our order. Yeah, this is started on Friday. This is day when well, was that Sunday? This is day four. This is day four, and I've already done one afternoon, 15-minute meditation. We're doing a sadhana retreat on Avalokiteshvara, and I've given a couple of talks, and we've been exploring it in the evenings with a bit of a commentary on, on the text, and I've got a couple of translations of it. You know, and I can just put the translations on the screen side by side, and people can follow them as I speak. That's really useful. You can't really do that quite in a normal group. And we've done a puja, again, with the text on the screen, and it's, it's been pretty good. And when um, you do that kind of ritual, are people chanting together, or are you...? Well, we tried, and I'm sure you know, when you do that, the lag in people's Wi-Fi means that some people are coming in several seconds after you chanted, um, everyone else is going, um, much, much later, and there's 40 people there. So it's, <laughs> it's good for some effect. Sometimes I do a mantra like that, just because it's great to do it like that, because it's a bit wild. But for most of the time, I just mute everybody and talk it through, and we do it that way. And I can see on the little boxes on the screen that they're, they're doing the puja, you know. So it works really well. <laughs> That's they, they say they get loads out of it, so I, I just believe them. Now, you spend a fair bit of time on retreat sometimes, and I know you recently came off a long, well, two-month retreat in Wales. How much of the experience transfers over? How much of it is just a completely different context? It's pretty hard to quantify it at the moment, because this is all a bit experimental, and I can't say, and it's very new for me as well, so there's an element of stress that isn't present on the kind of real-life retreats. But the same stress is there, it's just managed differently in each situation. So I find myself, as the leader of the retreat, involved in quite a lot of emails just beforehand, of people signing up and saying, oh, I don't know how to sign in. And there's quite a bit of chaos in the first few days, which is very unretreat-like. I have to manage that. So it's all very different. But I, I suspect that after I've done this a few times, I'll have it much more smoothly organised and it'll feel different. And the sense of, I guess, sustained focus and it making a difference to people to have a structure and a particular emphasis for their practice through a week. The retreats are week long, right? These online ones. That's is, right. that, is people finding that useful? This is your second, right? I'm still trying to find out from feedback the extent to which they're able to do it. I think they're all trying. In the sign-up, part of the sign-up process is that you undertake to do several sessions of practice during the day. And they all say yes. But I think it's not so easy, is it? If you're at home with all the usual things, with the dog you can't take for a walk and things like that, I suspect it's more difficult. So I'm going to find out over the next few months, actually, probably. Yashabodi, yeah, I know that you've got another in-person class that you've been doing regularly at the West London Buddhist Centre. How's the transfer been for that, moving it online? It's been incredibly easy, actually, much easier than I had anticipated. And it's been really easy to find online equivalents for the kind of things that we used to do 
uh, sometimes I think you need to start thinking from scratch in a new medium, but I've been finding it easy. And uh, I think one of the things that helps that is that it's a group of people who are very regular. So I think I know most of the people that are coming to the class I've known for quite a while. I've been coming to the class for quite a while. There's a few new people coming in. I think people know each other already. That makes a class so much more easy, I think, to start. And then people also really enjoy the breakout groups, which is one of the features of Zoom. And I usually put them in groups of three or four and then ask them to talk about the theme the running theme for this series is uh, working with difficult emotions from a buddhist perspective and also developing positive emotions to support people through this incredibly difficult time and you know emotions going up and down and when people meet in these breakout groups it's a bit like you know they're seeing each other in the tea break upstairs and they already have a connection and then it's much easier to connect again and even people who come for the first time finding it quite easy to join in and I've been getting a lot of very positive feedback from people feeling they're really benefiting from the class and one of the things that I tried out is I found a, a photo of the shrine room with the Buddha in it so I'll just show them that photo and then we salute the shrine for instance and another thing I tried out you know at the end of the class in West London Buddhist Centre you usually do a bit of a dana appeal so what I do is I paste the link to the page in the chat so people can click on it if they want to give some dana so there's these adaptations that seem to seem to work really well yeah yeah, Kamashila has done quite a number of podcasts with us in the past. If you're listening to this, you can go back into the archive on the podcast page and find them called Kamashila's Quarterly. Lots of really great conversations from the kitchen in his house. Ah. Well, I remember one thing we talked about Kamashila in those podcasts related to what Yashibori just said is that when you do something regularly with people online, particularly online meditation teaching, which we'd been doing for some years at that point, it was surprising to both of us in that conversation how much carried across in terms of just connecting just feeling that these personal connections we had with people based largely on practice in class together and on mm. meditating together just seemed to quite naturally flow over the broadband, as it were. Yeah, in some ways people seem less inhibited on Zoom, unnoticed. You're confronted with a whole screen full of people and they're very uninhibited about speaking to you. It would be quite different if they were actually in a group of people. In a group of 40 people, it would be very different, I think. Mm. I mean, people do feel inhibited on Zoom, you know, and so do I. But at the same time, the kind of inhibition is a bit different. Mm, that's a very good point, isn't it, about the different dynamics that happen. And up in Manchester, Sangadar, have you been taking part in the online stuff that the Manchester Buddhist Centre is doing? Yes. When the lockdown started, we were two weeks into a Going Deeper course. We were exploring the Wheel of Life. We took a week off for the centre to get some accounts and stuff to move online. And then we moved online and... You know, we lost maybe a third of people, but a big bunch just decided to stay with us. And I think it's been incredibly useful. Obviously, at the beginning, just we felt reluctant to having to engage with a new platform, but we wanted to continue something we started in the physical world. And then actually it's been incredibly valuable, not just for people who are getting to learn about the wheel of life and maybe for the first time reflecting or focusing around impermanence or experiencing different realms or different states of mind, seeing the reactive mind happening and look for the gap to leap from a reactive way and into a suffering, painful way into a more creative way. I think it's been very valuable for them. And for me, you know, 
have thought about the will of life and have known about the will of life for a while, but it's been very valuable to then bring those images and those reflections to the current situation. A little reflection I just had as I was listening to our conversation. You started at the beginning of the podcast saying like, oh, it's lovely to see this kind of glaring faces on the screen. Just thought that that could almost be another image, like the ones at the end of the Diamond Sutra, you know, like bubbles in the stream, like flashing, what is it, like stars. It could also be like colors changing on pixels. Suddenly I just felt like maybe this is us also transforming the way we interact with the internet. You know, often I'm looking at my screen, looking at Netflix or now Disney Plus, you know. Actually, now I also use the screen to focus my reflections and my engagement and my exploration with the Dharma with other people. You know, I'm seeing your faces too, and I don't experience you just like colors and pixels. I experience you quite real. I don't believe that I'm just talking to a piece of glass and metal and senses. I have quite real experience of you. And also that feels quite actually different than what I usually do on screen. (laughs) There's this opportunity suddenly of... Yeah, that we can inhabit and transform this medium in ways that we haven't done before. Almost like out of the Chinese invasion in Tibet, took Tibetan Buddhism to the whole of the world. Now I feel like we've been exiled from our communities and the centers and normal situations into these new new spheres. I was just, as you were talking, Sangadara, thinking about, I remember the other day that whilst we were living in Spain, I had this dream about teaching the Dharma over Skype. And this is like 12 years ago, I think. In my dream, I had all these different windows and there were people even listening who were on different planets, which is quite Mahayana. But uh, So I'm kind of reminded of that now. But also another thing that I find really interesting these days, you remember there is this Mahayana Sutta where the Buddha is teaching the Dharma and then there is this guy in the Pali canon Sariputra is one he's always this guy who says oh no 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 you know there's not enough chairs Mm. you know we can't really do this here and then when you go to an order gathering and people are going to try to find chairs they'll refer to this sutra and I'm thinking in our modern zoom context we don't have to worry about the chairs anymore so in that sense we're kind of into a Mahayana phase of our of our teaching now so there's enough chairs for everyone we don't have to worry about the spaces. And I was saying earlier about my Buddhism in a city class that the, the space where we teach in real life is smaller than uh, mm. it, it can't accommodate all the people we have online now. So that's one of the benefits of moving to a uh, Zoom space. This is all very good because there's something about most people haven't until now had to develop a practice of making their screen time meaningful because the screens have been more about distraction or Quite often, I think where there has been meaning, it's been very personally based. So it's, I am writing my thing online. I am sharing my thing online. Whereas there's something about this that's much more collective, isn't there? Where you just see all the figures on the screen. Perhaps the most obvious thing about the phenomenon is that where you are doesn't matter anymore. And Mm. uh, you don't need to travel. It's like a really obvious point. But it's a huge thing. It's a huge thing. I mean, travel, getting somewhere and getting over the travel is a really huge factor in people's minds when they decide to show up anywhere, the older they get especially. But it's also money and it's the environment. So I think this is another completely unexplored area of what's happening. 
we're talking about spaces, online spaces or physical spaces. And uh, I quite like the idea of the liminal space, which is the transitional space. And it just occurs to me, not really thought about it, but uh, on listening to Carmen Schiele talking about the traveling and the journey, that there's something about the transitioning that happens when one leaves the house and goes to another place. There is a kind of adjustment happening to another space. And I just find that quite interesting that that is just so different because it's like we're, we're in the space, aren't we? So there is the, the, the adjustment that we need to make to transition. Mm. We need to get more versed, more kind mm. of, we need to get more skilled, I think, making that transition. I think we actually are, and maybe not even realizing that that's what we're doing, making such yeah. a quick transition into a different space, if that makes sense. Yeah, we're needing to understand what that transition is. Mm. You, Chandrasi, you're in your room with a thunderstorm going on outside or something like that. And we can't see that and we can't feel that. At the same time, we're somehow in the same space. Something that I was kind of reflecting on as well, in terms of in some ways, you know, like on this first class where we had to transition into an online class all of a sudden, it felt very important at the beginning of the class to try to at least use our imagination in a bit more conscious way to move imaginatively or physically to the same space to the same shrine room. I invite them to even imagine themselves walking the stairs of the Buddhist center, arriving, or signing in, whatever they do, and then being in the shrine together and just salute the shrine within the imagination. So in some ways, kind of, we've had to use our imagination a bit more consciously than we would have needed to. In some ways, it's been a kind of weakness. You could see it as a weakness. But I have also experienced this strength that also fosters imagination, this kind of connection in which we're doing a meditation with the order. And it was really powerful. You know, we were all meditating with our eyes closed and, you know, we could just hear Saraloka or whoever, just like leading through the meditation. And just the fact that that was life and we were all, I didn't know how many because, you know, I wasn't checking. I, was, I heard later there was 100 or 200 order members just meditating at the same time around the world. And also the spirit of that practice, which is sending metta and love to the world, just to be a bridge or a channel of that soothing light of wisdom and compassion and whatever. And that felt somehow enhanced by the fact that we were using these tools. So in some ways... We had to use imagination in a bit more consciously because something has been taken out from our experience. But in other ways, something else has been enhanced. The thing about imaginative connections come up with a few guests on this podcast. Some people talking about how well they meditate with other people and they can hear the noises of Indian streets in the background. And actually, when you're trying to remember that you're in the same order as somebody who just lives in a completely different world from you, who's there every day, that world is there every day, but you're not presently aware of it. And then you tune into meditation, suddenly you can hear their kids running around and, you know, the noise of cars going past, whatever it is. And there is something much more connective about that as an experience. It's a bit of a classic thing, isn't it? When things change radically, what people tend to do is try and replicate what was there before. It's like Greek temples using architecture, which was based on, I don't know, African huts or something like that. I don't know quite know how it worked. But it's a classical thing. And we're doing it again. But in a way, perhaps we don't need to. We just need to learn from the new situation that we're in. Yeah, you're totally right. I think on the second class, I didn't feel the need to walk in imaginatively to the centre. It was like, now this is the new space. It was important transition, but then something else as well is emerging. And also that is, yeah, that is also important and interesting. Well, it's that new thing is what it is, isn't it, really? 
Another thing that I find quite curious, because I wanted to do transition the Buddhism in the city class online at the time, I think the Buddhist Center hadn't quite got their Zoom account together, so I just started hosting it on my own Zoom account. So I'm hosting a West London Buddhist Center class on my own Zoom account, and then it just seems like those kind of boundaries starting to blur somewhat and I'm quite curious what that's going to mean for our future together and you get people coming in from different you know somebody from from Leeds or somebody from the North London Buddhist Centre joining in so it just seems like those physical boundaries of actual spaces seem to kind of dissolve and we're getting more in between spaces that might not be quite the Buddhist Centre but it might be like somebody's space and it's a bit unclear where that's all going to go but I can see already that there's these sort of yeah other areas emerging that we just hadn't thought about they would emerge because we didn't have that situation I don't know whether that makes sense but I'm quite excited about how that's going to develop. Yeah, there is something about the sort of dissolving of space and time, isn't there, about this that's quite exciting. And what you were saying, Kamal Sheila, about, well, we just don't actually know what the emergent form looks like. Mm-hmm. And of course, people are going to speculate and write creatively and think creatively and all the rest of it about the future. And that's always engaging in a certain way. But there's something more engaging about this, is this being present in this totally unpredictable situation that literally almost all humans who are connected to the internet are touched by in some way. I read a piece recently which I thought was interesting about how the internet itself as a cultural phenomenon for human beings was holding up quite well, even better than expected. The whole experience for people at the moment isn't dominated by big corporations in the same way because there's so much democratic technology that's still available. You can talk to whoever you want, whenever you want, wherever they are, right? There's something about that that is the early promise of the internet. Well, it is quite interesting in terms of organisationally as well. So I've been feeling since the internet communication started to really ramp up that things that used to have a clearer boundary, quite unpermeable boundary, just seemingly becoming more permeable. And it seems like with this new step into this space that things are becoming even more permeable, as it were. So there's even less boundaries. And that's going to be interesting, I think, in terms of how we organise ourselves And also in terms of power, to be fair, because, you know, the power is who's got the account, basically. So and that is incredibly interesting that maybe if you think about power, it would be, you know, the people who own the building, who have the money to invest in a particular thing. But now everybody, you you need a quite low amount to invest in a piece of equipment. And then you got a similar type of power as somebody else. So in that sense, it's Yeah, I haven't really figured this out, but I think it has a lot of repercussions for the future that, Mm -hmm. our future as well, the way our Buddhist centers organize ourselves. And yeah, that's going to be very interesting. What I've noticed has got tremendous potential in terms of just connecting people. It's really another really obvious thing, but it works so well to get like 40 order members together and give them that opportunity for direct contact. People seem to be able to use it very, very effectively. It's very simple. So I think the potential in that is is huge. I think it has been there for a long time, but we're only seeing it now. We have to use it. Yeah, there was something about the early promise of the internet that people got excited about, that then there's been a lot of disappointment that it's never been quite fulfilled. But actually, maybe one of the hopeful things about now is it's more like people didn't have a compelling enough reason if they weren't already invested in it to make it theirs and take their own power in it and use it to connect with people over things that really matter to them. And now they do, like they're forced to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, they're even forced to. But there's a a really positive potential in that. 
I suppose that the flip side of the wonderful radical excitement of emergent contexts like this that suddenly everybody or most people have a reason to invest in is there's also grief and loss around for people losing in-person contact, physical in-person contact, to be more precise. Yeah. What is it, you know, each of you have noticed most just in your own experience in terms of that? It would be a diminished world if everything was just online all the time, which isn't to cancel out the benefits we've just talked about. Yeah, I've really noticed in the people I connect to in the Sangha, at least, that people's mental health is under a lot of pressure. It really is. And particularly, yeah, people are already prone to, you know, feeling things more intensively, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so the lockdown and having to be on their own a lot uh, does have a negative impact on yeah. their mental health. And I think for those people yeah. particularly, it's even more supportive to have something to hook into that some sort of a regular nature in terms of classes or meditates together having that human connection but you know it doesn't replace a lovely hug from someone or having somebody in their proximity but i can see what we've got to offer as buddhist practitioners that it is incredibly helpful for people and i really think that uh, for me at least practicing is the most sane and sensible thing to do in these crisis times. It's the only way I think that we can get through this in one piece constructively. I have also, not only with people that I've been teaching or in, or in study groups with or in chapter, but even at home as well, I've noticed particularly mental health. With that, I've noticed that my practice has been of two main areas. One is my own mental states which has been mostly really dwelling on and reflecting on what I've learned already. And I feel hugely grateful of the Dharma and my practice and my understanding of the Dharma and my friendships. So, so far, I've dwelled in pretty positive mental states. So therefore, what I've tried to do with that is actually then engage in communication. So more than being in meditation practice and cultivating mental states, it's been trying to listen to people I live with and I in communication and contact with and try to find what can be most truly helpful. Also, my sister lives in Peru. She cannot leave the house at all for a week. And she was really scared as well because... She was saying people were dropping death in the streets and in a situation of real fear. So, yeah, it's just kind of strangely, my main area of practice at the moment, active practice, is in communication, which also the internet and how we're using it at the moment is all about and around communication. But I can certainly experience that more in life in a way. How about you, Kamala Well, I'm definitely in the firing line, you know, for the ventilators if it comes to that. So, you know, I've been pretty scared. And you know, I remember the first time we both got a flu, but we thought this could be it. And, you know, when you have that thought, it can be quite serious. You know, I made my will and everything. And then it was a false alarm. But, you know, there's definitely that around 20 minutes walk away. There's one of the main hospitals where hundreds of people are dying every day. So that's quite scary in a way. And it just makes me... Well, to some extent, it's quite positive to come into terms with death in that way. So I think I have had to, to the extent I can. And also what is so difficult to come to terms with is the fact that so many other people are having to do that in their own way. It's just a bit incomprehensible somehow, you know, not being in direct contact with those people and knowing that they're going through similar things. It's hard to manage. Upaya D from New York City was on the podcast and she was just saying somebody in her family and obviously quite a lot of people in New York City generally are having this experience of loss around not just death and the, the nearness of death, but also they can't go and be either with somebody who's dying or who has just died. 
so families can't even meet around that and grieve together and have a process well we knew that if either of us got it seriously to the point you have to go to hospital it's like goodbye you're very aware that that could be the end and i'm sure it's the same for both of you as well so i guess there's a transition space for us now in terms of this podcast we're bringing it to an end and i'm aware i'm sure that you're going to be going back into retreat you've got a little bit of prep to do around that what comes next for each of us when it comes to our currently online practice or at least that aspect of it I need to, as you say, prepare for the rest of my retreat tonight, and I'll be doing that. The retreat's at a particular stage, so I think tonight it isn't going to be a talk. I think I'm just going to open up for a bit of more discussion about how the practice is going, because I've already introduced about three different angles on the sadhana practice, and I want to know how it's been for people. So that discussion could be very, very interesting, could reveal quite a lot of all kinds of stuff. So we're going to start with that and carry on from there. Now I'm going to go off and have dinner with my housemates. And, and I thank you all for sharing your experience because that's definitely going to feed into my reflections as I'll tomorrow teach the last session of that Wheel of Life where we've been moving from suffering into faith, which in Buddhism is not blind faith. It's based on also our own taste of freedom. So it'd be good for me to try to dwell on that, having had that experience hearing and taking on board the suffering of the world, but also what lies up and beyond our experiences. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. What's next? I'm going to have a free evening, which I'm really looking forward to. (laughs) And tomorrow I'll be doing different things. But one of the things I'm doing is I'm hosting the meditation class for the Buddha Centre online in the afternoon at 2.30. So do join, tune in. Okay, so I'd like to thank all of our lovely guests today for coming and sharing their reflections. And yeah, it sounds like there's such a lot of individual and collective richness out there. The emergent phenomenon seems in good hands, judging on this conversation anyway. So thanks very much to you, Yashabodi. Yep, welcome. And to you, Kamal Sheila. Thank you. Yeah, nice to see you. Yeah, lovely to see you. And we'll be back, of course, with another episode tomorrow. And yes, as Yashibodi just did a nice trailer for us, we'll just mention that you can meditate with us every weekday, two sits a day. You'll find them at thebuddhacenter.com slash toolkit. We'll be having another of our home retreats in about a week and a half's time on the theme of cultivating positive emotion, practicing love online, as it were. And yeah, all sorts of other Buddhist resources that you can dip into whenever you need them, in a way, whether you've got lots of time or a little time, just some experience of connection, community. And yes, we'll be back with more stories and voices soon. So be well, everybody. Stay safe. And we'll speak to you soon. Bye for now.